0: Today on the podcast, we want to talk about something called the trauma narrative. It's fall, and in addition to that meaning back to school for most families this week and last, it also means the beginning of the college application season. Now, I know something about this because the last two years, I've had high school seniors in my household enduring the stress and uncertainty of all of those rituals, applying for college, and, of course, writing the college essay. Tell us about your life. Or tell us about a challenge in your life that you've had to overcome. These are the kind of questions that universities ask young people to answer in many of the essays that they write. And they are tough prompts for lots of kids. What do you choose? How do you tell your story? And will any of it? be good enough for the admissions counselors who will read these essays and decide higher education fates. But those essay prompts can be particularly stressful for African-American students. Now, that's because they often feel like these questions are invitations or maybe even demands to frame their narratives in a particular way, one that emphasizes pain and maybe individual or cultural trauma. It's a phenomenon that has come to be called by some folks at least, the trauma narrative. The expectation really that kids of color, and black kids in particular, will front trauma in their college essays. Now, this is in and of itself a really problematic way to inaugurate kids into the higher ed experience, and it can lead them to spaces of difficulty and contradiction in the experiences that they'll have once they get to college. But against the backdrop of the whitening of higher education, thanks to the assaults that have been launched successfully, really, against campus diversity efforts, this trauma narrative takes on an even greater significance. It adds to the potential for feelings of isolation and othering that black college kids already feel so often on predominantly white college campuses. That's where we want to begin the conversation today. What is this trauma narrative? How does it play out? What effect does it have on black kids who are co- applying to college? And once they get to college, what does that look like? And How do we change the process? How do we soften the process, really, to make this unnecessary? To make it so that black kids don't feel this kind of pressure when they're just trying to get a college education. To explore all of this, we've got Aya Waller Bay with us. She is a native Detroiter and a PhD candidate in sociology at the University of Michigan. She's studying the trauma narrative in college essays, and her work focuses on how Black students make sense of this trauma narrative and how it has informed their undergraduate experience. Aya Waller Bay, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to, to be here. Yeah.
0: So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And again, uh, this is a process that uh, m- many of us are in the middle of or <laughs> have just finished. <laughs> um, so I, I want to talk about first this trauma narrative, uh, what it is, why black students and students of color have come to be expected, to write these kinds of stories for themselves when they're applying for college. Uh, What is the trauma narrative?
1: Yeah, thank you again for for that question. So the trauma narrative essentially is a, um, a story that a young person details that talks about some of the most painful or vulnerable moments in their lives. It details crises, it details moments of hardship, it details moments of adversity. Um, so that is, in short, the trauma narrative. Is this a, a story that is detailing how you've endured and overcome very difficult and painful painful moments, and also how you navigated such turmoil? So that that's the trauma narrative.
0: And and uh, where does that come from? I said in the open that there's an expectation that Black children and kids of color in general feel to to do this. Why is that true? Who is foisting that expectation on them?
1: Fantastic question. And also a question I asked my participants in my research, right? So it, it is so interesting because the trauma narrative feels ubiquitous, right? We see it everywhere. So we see it outside of the academic space. We see it on social media. We see it on reality television. We see it on competition shows where they're showing how someone has had to overcome and endure a difficult moment to become the American idol, right? So we see it all the time culturally, but what I noticed in particular in my research that black students in particular felt like there was a racialized expectation, that it was an expectation because they were black and are identified as black and were seen as black in this predominantly white world, right? that they therefore had a traumatic narrative to tell and therefore needed to tell it to satisfy this expectations. So you ask, okay, so where do they get this from? Like who's telling them? So what I've heard from my participants is, again, they're seeing it on Tiktok, they're seeing it on college websites, they're seeing it in YouTube channels, they're also having college counselors and teachers tell them, based on their own experience working with students in the past, that this type of story and narrative works. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also just, you know, hear examples over and over again. We often, you know, we've seen these, you know, New York Times articles that says, you know, black student gets accepted into all the IVs and they have this very, you know, they call it from homeless to Harvard story, mm-hmm. right? So. Again, Again, it's Every they're surrounded by it precisely. OK, they just changed out the institutions in the city where the student is from. <laughs> but so they feel like they're being it's, you know, bombarded with these messages and that it works. Right. Because when you see the homeless to Harvard story, you say, OK, this is the type of story that these universities seem to really like. Or you'll see the college websites and it's like, meet Steven. And <laughs> Steven's on the website and they have you, you know, in front of an abandoned building. And it's like, now Steven <laughs> is at this, you know, prestigious university, too. So it is the messaging that, you know, it, that's around them. It's also the counselors, to teachers, the nonprofit leaders, right? The college admissions and college prep programs. That are also conditioning young people um, to, to write stories in very specific ways because they feel like it is the best opportunity to help those young people get into college. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now, I, I, I want to talk a little more about how that how that plays out uh, for for kids who are in high school and thinking about college. Uh, but before I do that, I I, I do want to talk about the fact that this is this is as much about the world we live in and what race and racism look like and feel like in our society as they as it is about college campuses and the reason i want to do that is because i think uh, when we when we talk about inequality in this country we often want to focus narrowly on a certain space or a certain kind of institution. And we don't always put it into context. Yes, this is about colleges and college admissions, but this is a reflection of the inequality that African Americans live with all the time.
1: Precisely. I think that's a, you know, incredibly rich point. And you know, I think about one of my participants who really shared how she felt that there was an expectation again, because she was a black woman, that she was growing up in a single parent household, that her father was incarcerated. And she told me that she had to push back against a counselor and said, actually, you know, my parents are married. (laughs) They also are doctors. My grandparents are married. They're also college educated, right? So she was a third generation uh, HBCU student, right? But her counselor, Assistant at her predominantly white high school, you know, I might add, insisted for her to kind of dig deeper, tell this story of, of pain and hardship. And she said, I lived a, a very privileged life so why is there then this assumption this expectation that to be a black woman i've had to endure these things so you know responding to the most racist stereotypes that they have about portrayals of black people and blackness so yes this is a much deeper issue and when people ask me you know why is this happening racism yeah. it has all to do with racism and our perceptions of black people and the limitations we place on what it means to be black and the black experience in this country.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with Aya waller Bay. She is a PhD candidate in sociology at the University of Michigan. Uh, She studies the trauma narrative in college essays, this pressure that African-American students feel to front the idea of overcoming, of dealing with pain in their backgrounds as part of their pleas to be accepted at institutions of uh, of higher education. Uh, we would love to hear from you during the conversation as well. It is fall. It is college application season. Uh, let us know how that's going in your household. Uh, also, give us a sense if This trauma narrative is something that you felt when you applied to college or that you see your children facing as they apply to college? Uh, Do you feel like this is an example of the kind of stereotyping that happens for African Americans in a society where we still struggle with a good bit of inequality? Also, uh, let us know how you feel this fits into the larger conversation about higher ed and how diverse it is. Uh, We just saw the U.S. Supreme Court take another swipe at the idea of using race in a limited way even to determine how people get into college. Uh, There is a whitening of higher ed that's been taking place in this country that I think really gives lift to the idea of things like this trauma narrative as the ways in which uh, black black people feel pressured uh, to try to fit in, to try to get into uh, predominantly white institutions. The number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we can work you into the conversation. Uh, so I, I want to talk about your experience. Uh, you are from Detroit and I am. From, uh, you're a West Sider. That's I an am. important distinction. Yes, Dexter
1: and area <laughs> uh, there to be you go, exact.
0: Right. Uh, <laughs> I was I was born near uh, Grand River in Livernoy. So okay. just just around the corner from there. Uh, when you were applying to colleges, you wrote two different kinds of essays. Talk about how different those kinds of essays were for you.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when I was applying to college, you know, I, I really wanted to tell a story about an opportunity that I received um, that was a very positive, was a very encouraging opportunity. So I, I wrote this essay called Jumping for Joy. And I I still have a copy of it. I saved all, I'm one of those people. (laughs) I have copies of all of my essays (laughs) in my Gmail account. So um, yes, and I recently uh, reread it, but it was called Jumping for Joy. And I kind of talked about this moment. I received the acceptance letter into this prestigious college prep program at Princeton. Um, And I just wanted to talk about how I felt in that moment, how hard I worked to get that opportunity and how it was really life-changing, right? And I shared that essay with a, a counselor from a college prep program, and was told that that essay would work from you know for some of the public universities on my list, but I was going to need a different, more compelling essay for the other schools of my list, right?
0: And you were told this by school officials. Well,
1: this was a, a no, a college counselor for the program. I see. Yes, yes. Who also happened to be black, by uh-huh. the way. Uh-huh. Yes. So was told that I needed a, a more compelling essay, and. I interpreted that as, hmm, this essay is about joy, it's, it's a positive tone, it was, you know, I was excited. I interpreted that I needed to write an essay that talked a little bit more about my hardships to really signal how worthy I was and how deserving I was to be accepted to mm-hmm. some of the other schools. And those other schools were more highly selective, like my mater, Georgetown, Northwestern, those types of institutions. So I wrote a different type of essay. Um, that detailed a very difficult moment uh, of my life of coming home to school and seeing my house just in shambles. And I really talked about how that affected me and how yet I was still very persistent. I was still very determined, um, how I had this grit that I you know had the desire to create a better life for myself, etc., and, you know, I got accepted to the, the majority of the, you know, the schools on my list, all but one. I would not name the institution nice. <laughs> who chose to <laughs> deny me. Um, but, uh, it, you know, I had an overwhelmingly successful college admissions process. Now, I do want to say that, you know, as someone who has worked in admissions, I cannot say for certain it was the essay, right, of course. was the reason why I was accepted. Right. However, I do think as someone who's been on the other side of the table, I, I do believe that narratives make a difference, right? And they do impact and influence emissions processes. So it was a very interesting um, experience to have two essays, one talk about joy and one talk about pain. I've been told that the essay about pain uh, was the essay that would make me more competitive. I think that was a very telling moment and actually a moment that has since changed the trajectory of the, my life and the, and the type of work and research that I do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you talk about working in admissions. Um, talk about how prevalent these kinds of essays are coming from black students. And this is, of course, part of your research as well. Uh, can you quantify how frequently you see black students run to this space uh, in, in the process?
1: Yeah. So when I worked in admissions, you know, I, I felt like I encountered... For every, you know, 10 essays for Black students, I may have seen it half of the time. And I I do think there was a, a difference between how Black and also I'll say our Hispanic and Latinx students as well, the types of stories I was seeing from them Mm -hmm. as opposed to their white and Asian counterparts. And this is also across socioeconomic lines as well. So I I do wanna point that out, that it wasn't just the low-income first-generation college students like myself who were writing about these difficult moments as well. There were students across um, socioeconomic lines who identified as Black and Hispanic and Latinx who also talked about some of these difficult moments, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I I saw that when I I worked in admissions and then in in the data I collect with admissions officers. So I interview admissions officers as also in addition to my undergraduate students, and they tell me about the types of stories that they're encountering from their black and also low-income students, where there clearly is a difference about how they're making sense of responding to certain essay questions, right? And I often tell people, Students re- can write and respond to the same question in very different ways, sure. and that is what that was the kicker for me. How are students looking at the exact same essay question and responding so differently? Naturally, we have different life experiences, but when you think about it, as far as the patterns and thematically, it was clear that there was some invitation, there was some encouragement, there was some types of conversation happening behind the scenes where certain types of students felt like their pain and their trauma and their ability to overcome and endure it was important to talk about in their college essay, that it made them more legible. It it allowed them to be seen by admissions officers in ways that I don't feel like students from, you know, Other uh, more privileged backgrounds, students who are white and Asian, et cetera, not exclusively, but broadly speaking, I felt like there was a difference that some students could write about their passions and other students could write about their pain. Yeah,
0: In fact, in other interviews, you've talked about wanting to, quote, just be Aya and not being able to do that Mm -hmm. in your college essays. I mean, that's such a powerful, Mm -hmm. such a powerful image, the idea that you had to. Become something different, or at least front something different than than what you felt.
1: Yeah, that that's an interesting um, kind of moment there because I wasn't becoming someone that I wasn't. I wasn't misrepresenting my lived experiences. I just felt like I had to talk about a very specific part of my identity, mm-hmm. where I had all these other things that make me who I am. Very confident, always well spoken, class. President, teachers, pet, all those things, right? A, a crybaby at one point in my life, all those things made me who I was. However, I felt like I couldn't talk about all those beautiful parts of my identity that I was almost reduced to to talk about my pain and my hardship and be really vulnerable and talk about moments I was still processing as a young person to an audience, an unknown audience, right? Because I often ask young people when I give workshops or am I, when I'm in a conversation, do you know who's reading your essays?
0: right. Right. They
1: don't. Yeah. Most people do not know. They don't know if it's a computer, a person behind a desk, a committee. Is it someone that they spoke to on the phone when they called the university? They have no clue. And yet we're exposing such intimate details <laughs> of our life to complete strangers, yeah. not even thinking about what that means if or want, you know when we get admitted to those institutions. What happens to those stories? Are they still our stories? Do they still belong to us? And again, those are those were not questions people were inviting me to to ask, and those are not questions I feel like young people are often thinking about either.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation about the trauma narrative in college applications and essays. We'll be right back. With more to break today. This is Detroit Today. Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Aya waller Bay. She is a PhD candidate in sociology at the University of Michigan. She studies the trauma narrative in college essays. That is uh, about a pressure that African-American students often feel To front stories about pain and trauma in the college essays that they write as part of their applications to institutions of higher education. Uh, We're talking about where that pressure comes from, what that looks like uh, both in the application process and once students get to campus, and how you maybe soften Uh, that pressure, especially in the context of the long-running debate that we are having about college campuses and who's there, who's welcome at uh, college campuses, especially at uh, selective institutions. Uh, The the assaults on campus diversity efforts and and on uh, on affirmative action in particular have really led to uh, a whitening of college campuses. They look very different today than they did, for instance, 35 years ago when I started college at the University of of Michigan. Uh, This trauma narrative is part of all of that dynamic. I wanna go back to this this idea of uh, this pressure uh, and talk just a little about whether it's, um, whether it's bad to focus on challenges and pain in these essays for many people that is part of their narrative for for many people that is the the, the main challenge in in their lives um, how do we how do we distinguish I guess uh, between that and and what you're talking about here which is an external pressure to think that's the most important thing in your life
1: right that I mean you 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 hit it right on the hit there um, yeah so you're absolutely right Um there are people whose most painful moments are their most transformative moments and they feel compelled to talk about it. And I think people have a right to tell their own stories and their own words, but more importantly on their own terms. One thing that is incredibly important for the young people that I interview is first, I never label their stories traumatic without their consent. So if they don't tell me the story they wrote about, is traumatic Mm -hmm. or trauma is a trauma narrative, I don't label it as such. I think that's incredibly important. Um, Also, I asked them if this was by their own doing, that they choose to write this story. The choice, the agency is the most important piece of it. One of my uh, participants, a black male participant, um, mentioned to me that he said to be black in this country is to encounter or have an ongoing experience with trauma. Mm. That it is a traumatizing place to be um, as black people in the United States from a host of reasons, right? And we can be here all day naming, <laughs> you know, from racial violence to police violence, et cetera, right? So what does it mean to tell people that don't talk about, you know, your reality, mm-hmm. right? And and my response to that is talk about your reality. Talk about your experiences. However, do not feel forced and do not feel like you have to contort or flatten or even overemphasize these difficult moments if you're not ready to talk about them. Yeah. And I think that is often missed. There's what there's a difference between a teacher or a counselor or someone being over your shoulder saying, Ah, oh, that's too nice. That's too sweet. I don't like this particular portrayal of how, you know, of self. Talk about this particular moment. I think that's incredibly harmful and it's incredibly Uh, reductive yeah so that that's the difference for me
0: yeah I, I also wonder what you make of the distinction between black students who are applying to predominantly white institutions and those who want to attend historically black colleges and and universities whether this pressure shows up in in both spaces Uh, And if it does, are there distinctions uh, that uh, about the way it shows up in those spaces?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I I fortunately I I get to talk to young people who are enrolled at predominantly white or historically white institutions, as well as young people enrolled at historically black colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. So I get to hear both sides to this. Now, I'll say this because the college admissions process has evolved so much to the point we have platforms such as the Common App, which is the largest admissions kind of portal that you write one essay that goes to all the schools on your list, you have students applying to HBCUs, you have students applying to PWIs and, and a combination of both, they're writing one essay. Mm-hmm. So it ultimately really doesn't matter um, what type of institution they're applying to because they're writing the same essay, therefore sending the same story. Now, you might have a difference where students choose to only apply to HBCUs, which happens, right? Then they, there is potentially, you know, a difference where a young person thinks, hmm, the people on the other side of the desk look like me. They may already have an understanding about my background and racial identity because they're black, yeah. and therefore maybe I could talk about another part of my identity. Might say my love for journalism because the some, we already got the the foundation. They know we black. <laughs> they know I'm black. They know it's it's hard out here for us. I don't have to talk about that, right? Um, and then you might again the opposite for the students applying solely to predominantly white institutions who say they may not understand this experience to be black. So let me tell them what it means to to walk, you know, down my block or oh, yeah. in this country as a black person. I will say based on the data that I have that that division didn't bear out you know, uh, exactly. I actually approached this research with that in mind, thinking that I was going to see this extreme difference mm-hmm. right between black students at HBCUs and black students at PWIs. But again, because of more practical reasons, students are writing just one essay and regardless of the type of institution they apply to and enroll in. They're still living in the United States. Right. We're still occupying black bodies in a predominantly kind of, a, you know, white dominated uh, country as not even a population, but whiteness is very prevalent, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's still this, um, they have to navigate this world regardless of the institution that they're in. So even our uh, beautiful HBCUs are still, are not, you know, they're not force fields, uh, f- you know, from white supremacy and racism. So mm-hmm. young people in the application process are still encountering those things and having to respond to those expectations.
0: And, and what do admissions counselors tell you about... The way this plays out in their minds and in their jobs, this this uh, this this uh, I guess uh, body of work that they are confronted with, where you have these stories that may be inspired by this this weird external pressure, how do they process that, and and is there is there an effort on their part to I guess put it in that greater context uh, and does it work does it does it does it really make a difference uh, to these counselors to to read these stories
1: yeah so i'll start with that latter question does it does it work you know that's a really great question and, and i often tell people from both my experience working in admissions at a very selective university and the admissions officers that i interview they're all at private universities and the universities are overwhelmingly selective or highly selective that the essays work in the sense of they give more context to a young person's life, right? So when it comes down to a student who had who was homeless and then started a nonprofit and and then also happened to get all A's, they have that context that could help them and inf- that does help inform decisions. That does signal to the admissions officers, wow. This student is impressive. Mm-hmm. They had to overcome, you know, these difficult odds and they did it. So it, it helps in that regard. However, if you have that story of the homeless store and start the nonprofit, but you don't have strong grades, the essay is not gonna push you over, right? They they need the foundation, right? So the students that I encounter and the students and the admissions officers that I interview. Um, are looking at students who still need to have a certain academic profile to, to be competitive. So the essay provides more context. It provides more information, more data for them. Sometimes it allows them to rally around a candidate. Maybe a student might be on the, the, the border. Again, they have the foundation, but you know, it's coming down between them and a few students. They can say, we need Aya. You see, you know, I may have had that one B, but she's a first generation college student. She grew up on Dexter. Like we get very few applicants from her neighborhood. <laughs> we need this type of student. Yeah. Now to the the first question and thinking about how are they making sense of it. This now I found this very surprising because again, I walked in, I approached in this project with, you know, they're gonna just eat the essays up. They, they really want to see these types of stories. They really want these compelling narratives. It makes them look good. Once the students are admitted, they can put them on the websites and the brochures. And I had admissions officers telling me that they they take time you know, to walk away from their desk because they are devastated by the the painful stories that they're reading. Mm-hmm. They, that they're sitting at their desk crying and sobbing. That they're on their way home sobbing. Because of the painful stories that they encounter, that they told. right? Yeah. And 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 that is something that I didn't even realize. Even someone who was behind the desk, I hadn't even thought about the emotional toll that it takes on the actual admissions officers. Yeah. Um, and that's something I feel like we don't talk about. And like and I ask them repeatedly, are these the types of stories you want to read? You know, and if not, what do you want to read? And overwhelmingly, they said we want to read what students want to write about. So it's this issue again of choice. Mm. Are students writing these stories because they think this is what we want to hear? Or are they writing these stories about these painful moments because they feel like it's important to who they are, that it helps detail how they've, you know, had to overcome? It helps to talk about their story in the most in- uh, authentic way. So if the students are writing, you know, by their own volition, we want to read it. Otherwise, we don't. However, the 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 flip side of that is I had a staff to say, we want to hear these stories because it helps give more context to the applicant's profile. Sure. So what do we do with that? On one hand, you say, we don't want them to feel forced to write those stories. We want to write, read stories that celebrate other parts of their lives, too. However, if they give us those stories, we're going to use that, right, to help make difficult decisions in the admissions process. And I think it's a catch-22 for students because what 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 then do you do?
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, we need to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation with Aya Waller Bay about the trauma narrative. We'll be right back with more during today. Bay is with us. She is a PhD candidate in sociology at the University of Michigan and is studying something called the trauma narrative, something that appears in college essays that applicants write. African American students often feel pressure to front the trauma stories of their lives in those essays because they think, or in some cases, are told that this is what admissions counselors expect. This is what they respond to. And maybe it'll up your chances of being admitted to the university you want to go to. Before we get back to the listeners, uh, I want to talk just a little about affirmative action. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, uh, we're about to enter uh, yet another new era of uh, diversity on college campuses. I always start this discussion with, uh, with a reference point. Uh, I was a freshman at the University of Michigan in 1988, which is now 35 uh, <laughs> years ago. Uh, that's generally thought of at the university as a high point for the university's diversity efforts. Uh, the black percentage in, uh, in, in on campus in Ann Arbor when I was there uh, was 8%, uh, and it was the highest it had ever been uh, at that point. Today, it's less than 4%. In some cases, I think, uh, uh, in, certain, in recent years, it's been below 3% uh, in Ann Arbor. And a lot of that has to do with what's changed from 1988 to now. Uh, uh, the assault on affirmative action that unfolded. Not long after I was in college, uh, really has had tremendous success in making it harder for colleges and universities to to create diverse uh, uh, student bodies. And what that means is that fewer black kids are getting opportunity. We're going to see that intensify yes. uh, because the Supreme Court has now said, "Look, you're not really going to be able to use race uh, at all." Although I think some colleges will still mm-hmm. will still try, but but put this trauma narrative and this pressure that black students feel to emphasize that kind of story in the context of the waning opportunity uh, for black kids to have their race and the the experience that they have because of race considered by, by college admissions counselors.
1: Right. So when the Supreme Court came down with the decision in June, um, it essentially limited race-conscious admissions practices, right? So they said that race could not be um, considered uh, when evaluating uh, applicants. Um, and it even kind of challenged this, this the diversity kind of imperative and the diversity rationale that universities have been using uh, for the past few decades, right? And, and one thing, however, that was noted in the decision was This idea of adversity and hardship and that in the college essay, young people could still talk about the ways that, you know, they encounter adversity and hardship because of their race. Right. Mm -hmm. So the Supreme Court left an opening there um, that signaled to me that issues and challenges and, you know, young people would be able to write about those things and talk about hardship and pain and adversity and ultimately, you know, trauma. um, Because instead of just, you know, universities looking at race outright and thinking about that in decisions, that there is an opportunity to think about it in a more qualitative way in the college essay. So, you know, my argument in, in a piece that I kind of wrote about earlier was that, you know, this then will signal to young people and also those people who work with them. So teachers, counselors, even admissions officers, that essays about hardship and pain and trauma could be admissible, could Mm. be legal. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it's another opportunity for them to create more diverse classes because they can then look at your essay and hear you talk about these difficult moments to see, you know, if you say as a black woman growing up, uh, you know, on Grand River they cannot you know not see that they can't unsee that type of you know description right so I think that is going to increase the pressure that young people feel like they already have to detail trauma and hardship because it becomes a way for them to talk about their racial backgrounds and for Mm -hmm. them to be legible when colleges are already you know in a bind now so I think it's going to increase the the visibility of trauma narratives I think is going to increase how students think about their stories and narratives as a way as a to kind of get around some of the restrictions that universities now have with race conscious admissions practices yeah
0: yeah it makes this space more premium yes. uh, in in the in the process precisely uh, yeah I want to go back to the phones here uh, Azra in Bloomfield Hills Azra welcome to the show thank you hi this
2: Oh, I just wanted to say this is a fantastic topic, and of course, it's timely. Um, but as I was at U of M as a freshman in 1992,
3: uh-huh. and
2: I remember my high school counselors and teachers also encouraging everyone, regardless of their ethnic background and uh, Indian origin, um, you know, to kind of really talk about the adversity piece. And I, I think it's fascinating to think about Black students in particular, because we had a very diverse campus, and I'm so thankful for that. Because my best friend from that school and happens to be black. So it, it, I would have missed that opportunity um, to encounter so many different types of people. So the affirmative action piece is a huge loss. Um, and from the standpoint of the student who has to write these essays, they are encouraged, regardless of ethnic background, um, to talk about their adversity. Mm-hmm. And I've been on the other side of this where I've had to review medical school applications because I'm a physician And, you know, you do start to kind of, everyone starts to blend together after a while. You're reading application after application, essay after essay. Mm -hmm. And then you do tend to gravitate towards the story that stands out the most and Mm -hmm. what is going to stand out more than, you know, a really kind of triumphant trauma-based story.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Azra, I really appreciate the call. Uh, and and the the relatable uh, experience there. Uh, I uh, respond to what Azra uh, was talking about.
1: here. Yeah, fantastic point. Thank you so much uh, for that call. And this is actually a common response that I get. You know, when I present my work or I have conversations, I'll hear have people say that this is encouraged. You know, everyone is encouraged to do this. You know, it's not just Black students. It's not just poor students. It's just not you know Hispanic or Latinx students. And w- and my response to that is. Sure, <laughs> but the consequences are different.
0: They look different.
1: They look different, right? And, and what I mean by that is, black people, when we tell a particular narrative about our stories, our, our backgrounds, we become representative of all black people. we don't We don't get to operate as individuals in the way that our counterparts do. So when white students talk about um, trauma or divorce, people are then not saying that white people have this particular lived experience. Mm-hmm. When black people talk about an incarcerated parent, people are saying, look at those black people with incarcerated parents. Of course, right. To me, to be black means you have an incarcerated parent, right. We don't have the same histories in this country. We don't have the same histories outside of this country. Yeah. Right. So I think our lived experiences are imbued with different types of meaning that makes that makes the essay more consequential for certain certain types of students, right? So the same racial stereotypes that black people have are not the same racial stereotypes that you know white uh, young people in suburbia have, yeah. right? And I and I think that what makes it that makes it different, it makes it more consequential and it makes it more harmful, in my opinion. So I think there is a distinction. Yeah. Of course, students are told to talk about their you know overcoming a struggle. I hear people talk about it all the time but they get to talk about their stories as individuals. And we, we are not kind of given that allowance. We, we carry, as the young people say, we, we got the team on our back. We yeah. are representative <laughs> of all black people, especially on campuses where we're severely underrepresented, to your right. point. When you're less than 5% or less than 4% in a class, Stephen is now the representative of all black people. I right. is the representative of all black people, and I think that's where the difference lies.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Azra, I really appreciate the call. Uh, let's go next to Jim and Troy. Jim, welcome to the show.
3: Oh, thank you. Um, I just was, I, I told the guy who came on, I was, I don't know if you can hear me, I was driving down the road, I pulled off to make this call, but I was listening to your program, I think it's was a point, but I was the uh, interview, the founder of Run DMC to celebrate uh, hip-hop, 50 years, and it struck me that he, he said that he came from, uh, middle-class, middle-class mom and dad Mary, in Queens and all his buddies went to school, went to college, but because of their, their genre, they got pushed back hmm. because they weren't from the ghetto, right? They weren't from the streets and I found that them kind of foisting on people now I'm, I'm a, I will say I'm a retired white physician so I can't speak for black people, but it's just I think it's kind of the thread that runs through uh, this country is kind of this benevolent condescension, like "oh, mm-hmm. let me feel good and help bring you on from your, yes. you know, horrible background." Yeah. Uh, just said that you know you come from your parents are physicians, right? You're, you're
0: successful, uh, Jim. Jim, that's a great point. Mm-hmm. I don't want to cut you off, but but we're going to run out of time, and I really want to give I uh, a chance to. Respond, you talk about the kind of white savior complex that some of these universities feel, uh, you know, lifting up these black students who tell them these stories about trauma. I think Jim is talking very much about the same thing.
1: Yes, he is. Thank you so much, Jim. Precisely. So it's the white saviorism of being able to say, look, look. You know, we were able to save these young people from these very difficult uh, experiences or backgrounds. We're going to bring them to our institution. We're going to socialize them and, you know, put them out in the world to be good citizens. So I think that's a a, a common kind of uh, response. In addition to those students and those narratives, while, once they are enrolled, they also help universities and institutions raise money. They are also get to be the the tokens and poster children for the universities. They get to put them on their websites and show how progressive they are and are committed to diversity. So there is certainly white saberism and its benevolence of really kind of reaching back to get these poor people and these black people and these minorities out of these difficult environments. And you definitely see that as well. This desire to quote unquote be the saviors when In fact, if we just change some of the structural conditions, right, we wouldn't even have to, you know, we wouldn't even have these difficult moments to, you know, to detail Mm -hmm. because the barriers wouldn't exist in the first place. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay, Uh, Iowa Bay. It was really, really wonderful you have you here with us to talk about uh, the trauma narrative and uh, good luck to you at the University of Michigan. Thank you so much. Getting that PhD, I know. That's a, that's a rough road. <laughs> I know, but I just it, started year six, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, it'll pay off. Though. I know. That's it for the Detroit Today podcast. You like this show, you get a lot out of it, you ought to be sharing it. Share it with your friends, and your neighbors, your relative, anyone you think would enjoy it and would add to this community that we're building here. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethin. And our student producer is Mira Kumar. Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. We'll see you next time on the Detroit Today podcast.